friends. Thank you for being here on this midweek prayer service. Grab your hymn books. Let's stand and make a joyful noise. Brother Ken's going to lead us. Let's sing together tonight. Amen. In your blue song book tonight, hymn number 169, Come Thy Fount. We'll sing all three verses. Hymn 169 tonight.
Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. Pray for Brother John. Anybody on my left tonight with an outspoken request this evening? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Remember those uh, young folks up at junior camp. We got a couple of parents who went up to the services there tonight with them, but pray for those young folks and our chaperones, if you would. Others on my left tonight with an outspoken request. Yes, ma'am? All right. Absolutely. Uh, major surgery he had down there at Baptist. Somebody else now on my left. Yes, sir, Brother Peck? Absolutely. Anybody else on my left? Outspoken request. Unspoken request tonight by an uplifted hand. Thank you so much. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together this evening. Father, it's with a humble heart we come to you, thanking you for the opportunity that you've presented with us to be back in your house. We are, as always, excited about opening the Word of God, studying, learning together. And Lord, I pray that you would do just that tonight as we continue our study this summer. Lord, I pray for each of these requests now. Thank you for the outspoken ones. Lord, those that have been brought to our attention. Lord, for the unspoken ones that are between uh, folks and you, Lord, we know that you hear those as well. And Lord, how many evidences we have of how you answer unspoken prayer requests. So Lord, I pray that you'd intervene miraculously in each one of those. Lord, I pray, God, uh, a special touch now upon our church as we continue to labor here in this community. And Lord, bless us tonight as we open the word. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have a song of fellowship. Brother, you come on tonight. Amen. You can be turning to hymn number 324, Draw Me Nearer. We'll sing the first verse and chorus there. And while you're turning there, just want to make a mention about the pastor's uh, birthday celebration this coming Sunday at Ferry Stone State Park, 5 p.m. We'll be in shelter number three. When you go through the main entrance there, just go to the right, and it'll be just down below the bank there. And then Brother Upchurch has uh, volunteered to take our bus up. Anybody wants to ride, if you would, just see him. The bus will be leaving here at 4.30 on Sunday afternoon, heading up toward Ferry Stone. And uh, thank you, Brother Bobby, for volunteering to do that. So anybody needs a ride, just see Brother Bobby, and he'll get you on up there. That's 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. We'll have some more announcements later on this week about that. Hymn number 324, Draw Me Nearer.
you so much. Uh, uh, don't forget a couple of uh, more quick announcements this evening, and then we'll get into our Bible study time tonight. Uh, uh, those of you who are ladies are going to the Women's Mountain Retreat. Please make sure you sign up for that. If you would, please uh, get that signed up as quickly as you can. Money is due for just the conference itself uh, to Sister Up Church by July the 9th, so you got a couple of weeks for that. Keep that in mind, if you would, please. All right, gentlemen, come on down tonight. By, folks, turn in your Bibles three places tonight, if you would, please. I want you to get three places ready. Jeremiah chapter 30. Then I want you to also get ready Matthew chapter 24. And Revelation 6, I'll give you all of those again. Jeremiah 30, uh, Matthew 24, and Revelation 6, we'll pray. And then we'll get into the study of the Word tonight as well. Father, thank you, Lord, once again for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. Lord, for the privilege that we have to open the Word of God and study. Lord, I pray that you bless us tonight as we unfold the Word of God together. Bless now our offering. May it be what you'd have it to be in Christ's name. Amen. Tonight, 
we're going to talk about a time period that we know of as the tribulation period. And it's got a specific phrase that's mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 30, which is where uh, uh, you will hear a lot of preachers refer to it as. And we'll take a look at that in just a moment. I want to remind you that, that these are the events that will unfold uh, in front of us. And for those of us who are part of the bride of Christ, we can start by saying amen that we won't be going through this. And as you look at this tonight with me, and tonight we're going to talk about the first half of the tribulation period. As you look at this with me tonight, you will have to amen, whether you do it internally or externally, that it is a great joy and a blessing that we will escape what we experience or what we read about. But I will submit to you that I believe we're seeing things line up now to prepare for those end-time events. So let's begin in... Jeremiah chapter 30, beginning in verse number 6 tonight, if you would. Notice what the Bible says. Ask you now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. That's a fascinating question. The word travail literally means to be in labor. Notice it says, Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? or in labor, we would say, and all faces are turned to paleness. I'll stop right now and say that if men had to be in labor, we would turn pale. Say amen, ladies. Verse number 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even, and this is the clause that you will hear referred to often, the time of Jacob's trouble, but he, the he there is Jacob, shall be saved out of it. The time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The phrase that we reference in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse number 7, is again, the time of Jacob's trouble. And in these verses, Jacob, who is a uh, reference, if you will, or an archetype for the nation of Israel. So we're talking about, when we talk about Jacob's trouble, we're talking about Israel's trouble. I'll explain that in just a moment. He's portrayed like a man who is about to give birth. The pain and the sufferings, as described in verses 6 and 7, are great. So great, in fact, that he's bowed over or even bowed over, we might say, in agony. The Bible says in verse number 7 that there are no days in human history that will compare to these days that Israel must endure. In fact, it says in verse 7 again, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. In other words, there's no date, nothing, if you will, no, no period of history that compares to how bad things will be here. And verse 7 says, however, that Israel will be saved out of those days. Because it says at the end of verse number 7, but he shall be saved out of it. One of the reasons, church, that I believe so strongly... In the pre-tribulation return of Christ, and we talk about that as being pre-trib, 
We, I believe, and I think most of you do as well, that the rapture of the church will occur pre-tribulation, that the church won't go through the tribulation, is because when you read the New Testament, almost all of it is written to and about the church. However, in Revelation chapter number 4, verse number 1, when John said he was called up hither at the sound of the trumpet, and when you read the references about the tribulation period in the Old Testament, they're all about Israel. The church is nowhere mentioned. So throughout all of the New Testament, God's focus is on the church, the church, the church. But then uh, when the church uh, is no longer the focus, the focus is back on Israel. Uh, so scholars agree uh, that that means the church has been called out and God's attention refocuses back on the nation of Israel. I'm going to say tonight, as I said last week, that we're going to be covering some kind of scary stuff tonight. Some material that is sometimes difficult to hear, read about, and certainly to understand. But the reality is, and I think you'll amen, that we can shout about the fact that as bad as it is, the church doesn't have to go through it, amen, but it does also remind us that we've got work to do until the Lord comes back. So now I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to Matthew tonight, chapter number 24. And go ahead and get ready, Revelation chapter 6. Matthew chapter 24 and Revelation chapter number 6. I mentioned to you last week that I'm of the scriptural mindset, as are many fundamental scholars, that the tribulation period will be divided into two chunks, two halves. I showed you a couple of verses about that last week. I'll show you several more tonight that I believe prove that point. And so tonight's message I've entitled, Tribulation Begins. Because what we're looking at tonight are the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, the first half of the tribulation period. And interestingly, there is a passage in Scripture, Matthew chapter 24, that is known as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus is finished talking and teaching and preaching. And in the course of his message, he talks about the destruction of the temple. Remind you that the nation of Israel, the temple was everything. It was where God dwelt. It typified the presence of God. It was their faith. It was their religion. It was all built upon the temple or the tabernacle. So when the Lord talked about the destruction of the temple, it struck the fancy, if you will, of the disciples. And so they began to ask him questions about it. And it led to a very fascinating chapter that the Lord refers to as the end of times. Matthew chapter 24 is all about the end of times. Now, we have to juxtapose Matthew 24 with Revelation 6. So make sure you've got your bookmarker there because we're going to be flipping back and forth between those two passages. There are three things that we will look at tonight talking about uh, the beginning of tribulation. Three characteristics, if you will, that will define those three and a half years. The first one, the first characteristic 
that I believe will clearly typify or clearly define the tribulation is this. There will be an extreme spiritual deception. An extreme spiritual deception. Let's go back into chapter 24 of Matthew. And let's go ahead and start in verse number 1. Let me just set the stage for you if I can. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He sat upon the Mount of Olives. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Three really separate questions. The first question that the disciples asked are, Lord, you've talked about the destruction of the temple and how one stone will not be upon another. When will that be? And in fact, that happened in 76 A.D. when Rome plundered uh, among many other territories the nation of Israel and utterly destroyed uh, the tabernacle. Then the second question that they ask is, Lord, what are the signs of you coming back? And then the third question they asked uh, in verse number 3 is, what, if you will, are the signs of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said in verse number 4 unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Now notice verse 5, please. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Jump down to verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So I submit to you tonight that one of the signs according to the Lord, or one of the characteristics, I should say, of the tribulation period is the fact that it will be marked by an extremely heightened sense of spiritual deception. There will appear many during this time who claim that they are the way of salvation false Christs, false prophets, if you will, who will with great intentionality lead people away from the way. Now I've said to you twice, or many times during the last two weeks, that what we see happening today very closely typifies the unfolding as things will be during the return of Christ and subsequently the tribulation period. So I'm going to say to you tonight that when Timothy talks about the fact that in the last days perilous times shall come, and we understand that we're seeing in our time this notion of being led away from the way, we're seeing, if you will, the very woodwork of the tribulation period being crafted in front of our eyes. By that I mean this. I'm not suggesting that the church will go through the tribulation period. 
But I am suggesting to you that the groundwork's being laid now so that when the Lord raptures us out of here, uh, the progression happens very quickly. A time of spiritual deception. And I think you will see the second point resonates quickly. Not only will there be a time of spiritual deception, there will be an incredible time of social devastation. I want to stop and point very clearly to a statement tonight that says this, the social fabric of our world is unraveling. I'm not talking about just America. I'm talking about the world today. The social fabric of society is seeming to unravel. An instability of society. And we're going to look at several things that the Lord says will be unfolding during the tribulation period that I think you will clearly see are happening in front of our very eyes. Jump with me, if you would, please. Same chapter to verse number 6. Let's read what it says. Ye shall hear of wars, rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Jump down to verse 9. Then shall they deliver you. Now the you there are the Israelites. Remember, Jesus is talking to the disciples. Then shall they deliver you up to the be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So I want to say to you tonight when I'm talking about this social devastation that this will be a time of major, major disruptions. And one of the disruptions will be a very clear rise in anti-Semitism and persecution. Let me put it to you plainly. During the tribulation period, the Jews will be despised. And in fact, if you were with us last week, I mentioned the fact that one of the things that the Antichrist will surely do is to establish a worldwide peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Listen, you don't need a peace treaty unless they're hated. And I want you to amen me tonight. We're seeing that unfold on the world stage like never before. That little small territory, no bigger than the size of Maryland, seems to be the fulcrum point of the world tonight. I think you will also agree with me that the world's political scene is becoming increasingly unstable. I will say to you tonight that if I wasn't a Christian, I would be terrified of the fact that small nations uh, ruled by despotic, unprincipled men uh, are on the very brink of nuclear capability. That's a terrifying thought, church. Nations ruled by seeming... This is not a political statement, it's just reality. Nations ruled by madmen have at their fingertips now 
the capability of wiping out thousands, if not millions of people with a push of a button. There is economic pressures forcing countries to take extreme measures. What do you mean? It seemingly didn't get a lot of national attention or a lot of worldwide notoriety, but do you realize it's not been but a couple of years since the nation of Iceland declared bankruptcy? I mean, think about that, church. An entire country declared bankruptcy. Think about the economic pressures that puts upon a society. I submit to you tonight, if you follow the news like I do, you will understand that Iceland is not alone in this. There are European countries tonight who have to borrow to pay off the debt, to pay off the debt, to pay off the debt, and are on the verge of bankruptcy. And if I may be apolitical a second, America's not far off of that church. The economic pressures of our society today are very clearly described in Scripture. There is a marked increase in hatred of Jewish people. And I, again, I don't want to get too political, but I challenge you to go look in your Bibles and read Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And you will read tonight that the great bear, and you can figure out yourself what that is, will be involved in an attempt to destroy Israel. Palestinians, again, I'm not trying to be political, I'm being blunt. Palestinians have plainly said that they would love nothing more than to wipe Israel off the map. Listen now, these things that are transpiring are just the rumblings of what's yet to come. Just the rumblings. There'll be major disruptions. There'll be major desperation. Go back again into your text. And then get ready to do some flipping with me, if you would, to Revelation. Again, verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in divers places. The word divers means strange, different, and unusual. Now please note with me. Our world has always had earthquakes. The world's always had earthquakes. The Lord's not saying every time there's an earthquake, run because the trumpet's getting ready to sound. But what he does say is that there'll be a rise, if you will, in the occasion of them, and they'll be in strange and unusual places. I will never forget. And some of you know exactly where I'm getting ready to go. Sitting in my office five or six years ago, the ground at Patrick Henry Community College began to shake and tremble. Of course, the epicenter of the earthquake was nowhere near us. But within 30 seconds, I got three phone calls from people at Patrick Henry who asked me the same question. I wanted to make sure you were still here. I didn't get it on the first one. And I said, well, sure, I'm still here. I didn't run, and I hung up the phone. I got a second phone call, and it dawned on me, and I looked, and I, I said, Buddy, you thought that was the rapture, didn't you? He said, Well, I just wanted to be sure. <laughs> Every 
time that we have some tragedy does not mean that the rapture is getting ready to happen. But I do believe that Scripture is clear that some strange stuff is going to happen. Now turn, keep your place here because we're going to come back to it. Flip, if you would, please, to Revelation chapter 6. If you've got a reference Bible, chapter 5 is referred to as the seven-sealed book that John is allowed to see. In chapter 4, he's called up into heavens. And he begins to see things, and one of the first things he sees is the unfolding of the tribulation period, and there is a seven-sealed book. Chapter 6, the seals are opened, and one by one, what's revealed in the seals, uh, if you will, uh, is explained uh, as it will happen on planet Earth. So look, if you would, please, at chapter 6, verse number 5. When he had opened... The third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. He that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. Balances are things that we think of today as a scale, if you will. A scale that, that, that measured weights. Are right, everybody with me? You know what I'm talking about. Notice, keep reading. Uh, uh, verse number 6, I heard a voice in the midst of the four, uh, the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now to really dig down into this, I need you to understand the symbolism and the typology that's being described. I bet you know this already. Black is always a symbol for what? Death. Sin. Death. That's the reason that most of the time when you go to a funeral, you don't wear a bright red dress, ladies. You wear something dark, if you will, something somber to, 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 to not be offensive. You wear black as it's associated with mourning, with death. When that seal is open, that black horse appears, and the rider has a balance on his hands, scale. And the, the writer says, according to verses 5 and 6, specifically verse 6, a measure of wheat for a penny. A measure of wheat for a penny. Three measures of barley for a penny. Roman society, a penny was a day's wages. A Roman penny would in Christ's day and in John's day buy eight measures of wheat or 24 measures of barley. So what does that mean? It means that the food supply will be cut by seven-eighths. In other words, whereas a penny could buy, let's give it to you in a, in a, in a way that you'll understand, Whereas a penny could have bought eight loaves of bread, now it can only buy one loaf of bread. We would call that uh, uh, inflation on steroids. 
where money becomes increasingly less valuable, where it purchases less and less and less. Hear me very carefully. Matthew chapter 24 and Revelation chapter 6, the message is clear. There's going to be a time of extreme famine that will be characteristic of the tribulation period. Let me give you some statistics. I told you Sunday I'm a bit of a statistics nerd, but I think stats sometimes paint pictures very clearly. One person, well, let me back up. We are living, living in the most prosperous days the world has ever known. Let me say that again. We are living today in an age that is the most prosperous that the world has ever experienced. Having said that, our world also faces incredible food shortage. Think about this for just a moment. One person dies of starvation or its related illness every second of every day. That means 86,000 people die every day of starvation worldwide. 2.5 million a month, 31 million a year die of starvation. 75% of those are children under the age of five. What is care? Please listen, because this rarely impacts the world we live in. We're blessed that we don't have to deal with that. Let's be blunt. We don't have to live in that reality, but you listen to me. I believe this with every fiber of my being. During the tribulation period, this country won't be exempt from it. This country will experience, I believe, what much of the world experiences today. Time marked by desperation, by disruption. Verse 7 not only says famine, it also says pestilence. Another word for pestilence, class, is what? Disease. Disease. In fact, if you'll go back into our Revelation text, look at chapter 6, verse number 8. Let's go back to verse 7. When he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. I looked, and behold, a pale horse. His name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. Kill with sword, with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. To put it bluntly, the tribulation period will be very closely aligned with the time period that we know of as the plague, the Middle Ages. We think of it as the bubonic plague. But what will happen then will far outpace what happened during that period. Now, when I talk about this, I'll sometimes hear people say, Oh, preacher, there's no way. We have modern medicine today. Those of you that are in the medicine field, you can back me up. One of the terrific fears 
that faces modern medicine today that is getting so much attention and so much research is something that they're referring to as the superbug. A lot of you nodding your heads, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've become so uh, antibiotic-driven. You understand that, I don't want to get too deep on you, but bacteria evolve. Now, they don't evolve into a man, <laughs> but they change their dynamics so that they become drug-resistant. And there are today in our world bacteria that cannot be treated with any known medicine. Terrifying when you think about it. You say, preacher, my gosh, that's frightening. How do you sleep at night? Because I know who's in charge. I know who's in control. And I want you to think about this. Because what it says in chapter 6, verse number 8, is very clear to me. That of the 6 billion people alive in our world today, a fourth of them will die within the first three and a half years. That's 1.5 billion people. Imagine that for just a second. During World War II, one out of every 25 people in the world died. We've got, let's say, let's just round it up and say we got 100 in here tonight. That means that four would have died as a result of World War II. But when you're talking about one-fourth, let's say we've got 100 that means 25 of them gone. This, aren't you glad I picked this side? This side gone instantly during those three and a half years. It's a time of desperation, diseases, disasters. We've already alluded to it. Lord says there will be earthquakes, disasters during these years. I, I want to give you a quick little something to think about. I'm not one of these preachers who every news story and every clip and, oh my goodness, see, that's sign of the, I'm not one of those preachers who say every little thing that happens is sign of the times. But this, this blew me away. In 1998, Virginia adopted the SOLs, the Standards of Learning. I was a third grade school teacher, so that's what we began teaching the SOLs, the Standards of Learning. We did this four years before No Child Left Behind, Virginia did. In 2000, we began testing the, the, the standards of learning. There was, at the time in Virginia, a social studies SOL in third grade that dealt with natural disasters. We had to study earthquakes, tornadoes, floods, uh, and two or three other natural disasters. So I was the science teacher in my building, and I began gathering resources to teach these natural disasters and their impact. And I purchased a video from National Geographic. And it was all about tornadoes, earthquakes, floods, and hurricanes. Four major natural disasters. I, will, I, I, I forgot about this for years, and when I remembered it, it blew me away. Because what the scientists would do was talk about the impact of tornadoes. Tornado Alley, Kansas, that region. They talk about the impact of hurricanes. They talk about the impact of floods. And they talk about the impact of earthquakes. Listen real carefully. The end of the video was what they refer to as the catastrophe study. They studied three what-if 
scenarios and the incredible impact to humanity in America if these what-if scenarios happened. What-if scenario number one was what if Louisiana took a direct hit from a hurricane and it showed out very clearly what would happen in Baton Rouge and what would happen throughout parts of Louisiana if uh, the levees were overwhelmed, uh, the flooding. That This was 10 years before Hurricane Katrina. And the, 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 the scientists showed clearly the economic devastation that would happen throughout the whole Gulf Coast region if that area ever took a direct hit. And exactly like it showed happened with Hurricane Katrina. Blew my mind. What if scenario number two was what if New York and New Jersey ever got hit by a superstorm? God is my witness. That was the exact phrase. What if New York and New Jersey ever got a direct hit by a superstorm? I don't need to tell you that they experienced that with Superstorm Sandy. And all of the devastation to the subway system, to the Jersey Shore, to the coastline of New York that still in many ways has not recovered, all of that was described. But you listen. The scientists said, these weren't believing scientists, I don't believe they had a Bible in front of them by any stretch of the imagination, but they said all of this would pale in fact, they said, we'll pale to when L.A. and California experiences the big earthquake. The big earthquake. And they charted uh, through the last uh, few hundred years, in fact, a couple thousand years, uh, the earthquakes, that the big ones uh, that have hit San Francisco, L.A., San Diego region, and the devastation, and how they are way past due. I share that with you to say this, folks. We think to ourselves, there's no way that many thousands and millions of people could be killed. Those scientists were right about two of the three. And if they're right about the third one, there will be millions killed like that. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that to say, thank God we live in Virginia. But I'm saying that to tell you that the Bible makes no mistakes. Earthquakes. Devastation. Let me qu go quickly because I'm going a little bit longer tonight than I planned. It'll also be marked by a time of disobedience. Nearly done. Go with me to verse number 10 of, of Matthew 14. Flip back to Matthew 14 quickly. Excuse me, Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 10. Matthew 24, verse 10. Notice what it says. Then, many be, then shall many be offended, shall betray one another, shall hate one another. Jump down to verse uh, 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It doesn't say, be, and, and, and shall, iniquity shall be present, but it says iniquity shall what? Abound. That means be prolific. 
That means take center stage, if you will. And you understand, folks, that after the church is raptured out of here, uh, the, 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 the restraints against society will be removed. In other words, uh, I've heard preachers say that the Holy Ghost will be gone. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost have always been. God the Holy Ghost will not be absent. But the agent through which the Holy Spirit works, the church, will be gone. Second Timothy chapter 3 proves this beyond all dispute. And I find this interesting. I promise I'm done with this. We live in a nation where still 85% of the population in our country claim to be a Christian. 85% of our nation still claims to be a Christian. When I read that in my... St I've got a fantastic book of modern statistics about the Christian faith. And when I read that, I thought, praise the Lord. Then I went on reading. Of those 85% who claim to be Christians, 63% state that the Bible is not true. 75% do not believe in the personal existence of a heaven or hell. Pornography is the growing, fastest growing uh, uh, internet business in the country. Four million men every day visit porn sites. 1.5 uh, women every day. 32% of, of, of professed Christians uh, are addicted and over 50% of believers are addicted to alcohol. When I read that, I thought, good heavens. You see, folks, that's just America. Quote, unquote, the Christian nation. I say to you tonight that we don't recognize it. The world simply doesn't believe it. We are lining up to check out of here. And we are lining up for the age known as the tribulation period to begin. So let me say to you, is it all doom and gloom? Is it all horrible? Absolutely not. Because next week... We're going to talk about the preaching that will happen during the tribulation period. The souls that will be saved as clearly indicated in the word of God. And how God will still, as he always does, have a remnant that clearly proclaims the message of God. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Thank you for your time and your attention. I know this becomes almost like classroom study. But I believe if we're going to be believers, we ought to know the whole counsel of the word of God. So I want to challenge you tonight, if you've got folks on your heart that you want to come pray about, individuals that you want to bring to the throne room, you join us tonight. At